I was always drawn to it. And I think with wheels and an engine, that was it, racing driver. Simple as that. We never had the funding. School side of things is really interesting. Everything there was all around doctor, lawyer, accountant, finance manager. I didn't really fit the mold. You had to be an AB student. They tried to get rid of me because I didn't get the grades that they wanted. This is where the luck comes in. So it's when you realize that you're not going to be able to do that on any level, not even low level motorsport. So it's always exciting to be like, oh, I wonder what opportunity is going to come across my desk in a year's time or whatever. R racing is, is my passion. And whether that's online or in real world, I don't mind. You have to do a lot of, you have to have, suffer a lot of rejection before you get something. Do you love esports? Well, this man does too. Working for Motorsport UK, the governing body for all sanctioned motorsport in the UK, our guest is their leading man regarding esports. Paul Crawford is currently in charge of the competitive side of racing virtually, from working with Fernando Alonso on his entry into the 24 Hours of Le Mans, to helping Mercedes esports team grow bigger and bigger. Paul has made himself a career to be proud of, and even if he shares with you how to be prepared for that, this will be a deep dive into his journey, and maybe some shortcuts for you to get where you want to be. Before I start, thank you for listening. This is the Ignition Podcast. Get ready to fuel your passion for cars and motorsport every Monday and Thursday. We bring you stories, valuable career tips and tricks that will help you navigate the automotive world. So don't miss out. Follow the Ignition Podcast now and join the drive towards becoming the number one automotive podcast worldwide. Let's embark on this thrilling journey together. Enjoy the episode. Uh, Paul, welcome to the podcast. Um, there's a little question I'd like to start off with and is what ignited your passion for cars? It's an interesting one because the boring answer is it was always there. So uh, my parents, family have no interest in cars or motorsport or anything like that. Whereas I was always drawn to it. Didn't have to just be cars, you know, tractors, mm -hmm. diggers, anything with wheels and an engine, basically. Um, and yeah, I remember watching the Grand Prix or Formula One when I was you know, as, as long as I can remember. And I was kind of the ones that then dragged my parents along and they took me to an indoor kart track when I was eight. And that was it, basically. You know, we never had the funding to do, um, you know, any, like, buy a kart or anything like that. But I always did kind of indoor karting and then Club 100 karting when I was older and was always playing F1 on Game Boy and PlayStation and things like that. So, yeah, it, it was always there. And I don't know where it came from to be honest um it, it was just there <laughs> yeah no it's interesting um it's the thing with go-karting i started off go-karting um and it really gave me sort of a just you know a, a love for these machines that, that could take you somewhere before you could drive a car so it was like always like a an escape but it was also something that you could really like get in focus with and i um, just for those listening now like paul so what, what do you do now so my title is esports manager at um, Motorsport UK. So uh, Motorsport UK is the governing body of uh, four-wheeled motorsport in the UK. Um, which, um, so yeah, kind of just to touch on that. So kind of all um, events that involve four-wheeled cars or vehicles um, competing in motorsport. Um, all has to be kind of sanctioned by us by, in terms of permits for events and drivers needing licenses. Uh, but we also look after um, all of the volunteers, the marshals, um, race directors, stewards, etc., scrutineers, etc. So all of that comes through us. 
um, and really um, Motorsport UK kind of felt like it seems to be now that we need to start to get involved with esports. Um, so I've been brought in and um, with my experience in esports, try and work out our place within it. Basically, mm. you know, we don't govern it. We're not trying to do that because that'd be very difficult <laughs> but um which we can discuss as well um but yeah we're, we're just trying to find our place within esports that we think we we've got pretty much locked down now i've been i've been here since uh, january last year mm. so 2022 um and now kind of the second half of this year is going to be jam-packed full of um events and projects which is uh, really exciting no it's great i mean i like to sort of Again, understanding like sort of your early career and maybe even school because I, th- I feel like that's where we learn a lot and that's where we develop as as, as people and then before we go into the big scale what it work so for you Paul like what was that era like so I uh, actually went to a private school um funded by my grandparents I believe mm. um and the reality is that I look back on it fondly but actually, when you dig down into it, it's more on the social side. So I've still got friends from school and I was at the same school for the entire time. Um, and um, yeah, I enjoyed myself. But in terms of the academic side, being a private school and needing good grades, etc., for their averages and all of that sort of stuff, I didn't really fit the mould in reality. Mm-hmm. And in hindsight, you know, you had to be an A, B student. And the reality was I was a, at best B student, more like a C student. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I I was def- definitely fell into the mould of not knowing what I wanted to do. Um, mm. There was thoughts of joining the police, but again, because I wanted to be a traffic cop and drive cars. Um, I liked sport, but didn't really know. You know, I, I was never going to be a, a an athlete. Um, and it was actually a friend of mine in class in sixth form um, when we were kind of choosing our. Um, university degrees i'd chosen criminology as my first choice trying to go down Mm. the policing route because i was like do that if i don't know what else to do and he kind of said oh do you know you can study motorsport management at um swansea union i was like what he's like yeah look he go and handed me this i I don't know where he can't remember where he found it but i was like okay well i'll put that down as my second option then why not and ended up not getting the grades (laughs) for my first choice and ended up going to Swansea to do motorsport management for, for three years. And, you know, that, that was really good. It was just kind of being immersed in that, that industry and just the experience of being at uni, I really enjoyed. Um, and it gave me the opportunity to work at the British Grand Prix in the summer in between second and third year. Um, and when I left uni after third year, I saw that they were advertising for a contact center executive, you know, answer the phone, sell driving experiences and tickets. And I spoke to the person I worked with there who put my name forward for an interview, yada, yada, yada. So I ended up working at Silverstone. Um, But the school side of things is really interesting because everything there was all around, as you can imagine, in that sort of school, it's all doctor, lawyer, accountant, finance manager. um, Yeah, all of that, or athlete you know it was play rugby or cricket and you know play for your county and it it was all around success and success was 
you know, high flying job, high flying athletic career. It wasn't, uh, or you, I mean, you could go down the art side as well, you know, drama and, and music. But again, it was all about being grade eight in flute and things like that, rather than joining a rock band and that sort of thing. It was like, so yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I enjoyed it socially and I've still got friends from there, but um, it's always interesting to think what would have happened if I'd gone to a, you know, a, a comp school or a grammar school or something like that, just to see if it had been a bit different, but I can't really complain with, you know, where I've ended up. So. No, yeah, it's, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's great. But personally, I, I can testify to the fact that it's the same either side of the, the gate. Cause I mean, I went to, I went to private school and it is very much, and I went to grammar school and I went to, I went to public school, both side of things. So it's like, mm. the, it, both schools want the best from the students, whether that be getting grade eight and flute or going to university, like that is the, that is the bottom mm. line in, in my opinion of what I've experienced. And it can be kind of alienating if you don't want to do those things. So I mean, so what was that like for you? Like wanted to be a police officer and be like in the forces rather than going and being like, oh, I'm going to, yeah. Yeah, it was it, it was odd because they tried to get rid of me after GCSEs because I didn't get the grades that they wanted. Mm. And for context, I got one uh, B, seven Cs, and a D. So not bad. And they want to, yeah, not bad. But you know, I'm not <laughs> I'm not going to claim it's great. But yeah, not bad. And um, they were like, mm, "You're bringing our grades down. Uh, you need Bs, basically." And my parents were like. Mm. It's not really the best way to treat somebody and aren't you the teachers, you know? Um, mm. So managed to stay for A-levels, but it, it was, in hindsight, again, it was very much like, we're going to teach you the curriculum and because you're clever, you're going to remember it and process it out for exam. There was no form of, and you know, you see it on TV or on TV, uh, on, on TV programs or, you know, on YouTube or whatever, where people are talking about, oh, I had this great teacher that really like helped me and tutored me because they could see a spark of interest in it. And none of that. It's just like, yeah. here's the information, remember it and process it. And I've got friends like that, you know, they're like, oh, I didn't revise. I got 94% on their exam. And yeah, they, they fit the mold, <laughs> let's say. Um, but it's, yeah, it's only really in hindsight, though, I was kind of, because you don't know any different, you're just like, oh, well, this is school. And it's only when you're older and you go, oh, yeah, that wasn't actually that great in terms of the acad academic academic side. Um, so, um, yeah, it was, it, it was definitely interesting. But, yeah, like I said, I, I'm certainly not complaining about it. No, it's it's interesting. So, like when you because when you moved to university, obviously you didn't you weren't told about this. Like there was no sort of like private like pre pre gamble from your school about being able to do some university that wasn't these these top flying jobs. So mm. that that friend you had, like, so what was your relationship with him? And I had that. So like, did he go to university for the same thing as well? Like, what was what was that connection? <laughs> it, it's quite funny actually. He uh, his name is James, and he actually went on to found Carwell the, uh, oh, okay. the yeah. car yeah, buying yeah. website so uh, but yeah I, i'm still really good friends with him um but yeah he he was also kind of in a different way but he was different to the mold he was but he was entrepreneurial and didn't like authority in that sense and and so yeah he, he was definitely different i think he went to go and do a work placement at like a big law uh, not law firm uh, finance firm 
in London and he was like no not working in one of them <laughs> um and he, he ended up yeah setting up um Carwell which he still does um so yeah he but I, I had lots of friends who didn't kind of fit with the mold as well and you're like it's just crazy to me but he he was all about people's passion because he had a passion for cars which is why he went down that route and he knew that I loved motorsport we always chatted about cars and um he he just saw this and was I don't know he must have just thought Paul I like this um and showed me um yeah it's always interesting to see like I wonder if he hadn't have told me about it what would have happened because I definitely would have found it I don't think no, so uh, what is the what is the journey through university like for you then, Paul? Because for me, I, I never went to university. I always find it this this mystical place. I've got a couple of mates that have come back now, and they <laughs> go, "Oh, it was great," or they go, "Oh, it was it's all right." And they never seem to have a, I don't know, a, a halo on top of the the subject. So it's like, what was it like for you, and how did it how did you come out of it, and what did it sort of like teach you as a person? It it was perfect for me. You know, I it gives you the chance to experience the world and get life experience, mm. but still have a bit of fun, start to take responsibility for yourself, which, you know, when you're 18, isn't great, but you know, you still have to pay the phone bill or the broadband bill of the house you live in. Cause I stayed in a house cause I didn't, it wasn't my first choice. I went through clearing, ended up in a house rather than halls. Um, so yeah, it definitely teaches you about responsibility, but it also teaches you that, having fun with your friends is a big portion of your life and you should never just lose that for work and I can't lie and say my course was high intensity let's say um you know yeah I chatted to people who were doing you know design at Loughborough and things like that and they were just flat out all day at lectures and then studying all evening it wasn't like that for me luckily but um we got we had a lecture from a uh, well-known british racing driver who who was really helpful and kind of opened your eyes up to what the world of motorsport is actually like and um you know there was lots of different things there was elements of it you you don't enjoy like we had a statistics lesson like i don't don't really know why this feels like i'm in a maths lesson at school not not understanding what's going on um but no, yeah, it definitely taught me about um, yeah taking responsibility and going out in the world and then the idea of leaving uni and then having to go to work nine to five was like, oh, <laughs> I'm glad I put that off for another three years and you can kind of see why people would do it. But it, it was a great, great experience for me. And I know it's not for everyone, but my recommendation is to do it if you can. Um, like my nephew, who's 20, he he didn't do it. He's gone straight into kind of, work and he's now far far richer than i was at the age of 20. <laughs> um so that there's balance to it but I, it was the life experience for me that, that was probably the biggest takeaway from that and the friends you know my friends from uni are my best friends now um with and from school and you meet people through work but i don't think you make that big of a bond as like people you live with at university and you grow up with through your childhood because they know so much about you without having, you know, they experience it with you rather than when you meet people at work, you're like, oh, yeah, and this happened when I was 12. And, you know, it's a long time to build up that background. So, yeah, um, it was great. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's fantastic because, like they say, I, I I'd never had that sort of being locked in a room. Oh, you're not locked in a room with someone because that's, that's now, but it's COVID times. But um, just thinking, locked in a room, but you have these because I guess lecture time and not lecture time is is different because if you're not at lectures, you're you're at your halls, you're at your house, so you you're hanging out. So it's it's great to see that yeah you made the most of that and the the bonds and the because communication is something nowadays I think is like with especially with my generation and companies below it's it's something that's dwindling and. The, mm-hmm. I guess, argument for it would be get off, get off your phones. But I guess now that I look at what you do and I go, well, actually, there's probably quite a lot of people meeting each other through esports, through racing online. So if you've been listening to the podcast for a while now, each month the podcast has a sponsor that I love and I believe helps the car community. And this month's sponsor does precisely that. I've been a big fan of Fuel for quite some time now, especially when it comes to working out. And I've got some exciting news to share with all of you. I recently discovered Huel's ready-to-drink milk. And it's a total game changer. Not only is it delicious, but I'm a big fan of the chocolate flavour. And I'm a bigger fan of the 26 essential vitamins and minerals you need to go about your day. And let me tell you, it came in super handy during a recent 24-hour trip to a certain German racing track. Instead of eating unhealthy petrol station food, Huel kept me energised and focused on and off track. So if you are on the hunt for a quick and easy meal option, go to huel.com forward slash ignition. To receive your free T-shirt and shaker, and support the podcast. Now, back to the episode. Yeah, there's there's a balance, you know. For for context, I didn't have broadband internet until I went to uni. So at my parents' house, we didn't have it by that point. So I was up to the age of eighteen without fast internet, basically. So we had mobile mm. phones, but it was snake and pay as you go text messages and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and then went to uni and Facebook launched, I think when I was in first year, but it was still properly like you have to have your, your uni has to be on it and you have to have the uni email address. And then we got it in third year and it, it could have sound like such a boomer now, but it was like, it was so much better back then because you'd go out on a night out, take photos on your digital camera because you didn't have camera phones. And then you'd upload them on Facebook as just like a way to share it with your friends and mm. look, oh, look what a mess I was last night or whatever. Um, or you go to the beach and you go, oh, let's I'll share those pictures on there and other people in your friends can see it. And that it's like it's what I wish social media still was, you know, it literally sharing stuff with your friends, not sharing it with the entire world, because, yeah, I don't think we're. I don't think it's beneficial, but that's my own personal opinion. Um, and don't get me wrong, I'm still on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. I've managed to resist TikTok, luckily. But um, yeah, I, it, that side of thing w- was great. And you know, now I'm on Facebook, I've got these memories from 13 years ago on there, and you're like, oh, I am old now. But <laughs> it's um, it, yeah, it was definitely. I'm definitely the generation that went from kind of no internet to internet and kind of we didn't even have mobile phones until I was yeah secondary school and it was you know Nokia 3210 probably won't mean much to you but still the best mobile phone there ever was <laughs> <laughs> well, I know thing about nostalgia is you look back everything on a rosy, rosy sort of light because your brain pushes up yeah, that, absolutely. Like that phone yeah. that phone's probably the best phone ever made my phone I had when I was in secondary school was probably the best phone I ever had um yeah, and F1 was better when I was younger, all of that, you know. But people who are watching it now, 
in 10, 15 years' time, we'll be like, oh, F1 was so much better in 2021 or 2022 or whatever. So, yeah, nostalgia does add rose-tinted glasses for sure. So I just uh, just picking up the whole F1 thing is funny because you hear you hear like the 2002, 2000, like that, like that, 2008, those sort of cars. You can't compare that to, to now. Like they sound like vacuum cleaners, but that's just me. No, no, and like that, that for me was when I was most into it was yeah, like 2002 to 2009. That was mm. like I would get up at 4 a.m. for the Japanese Grand Prix and just loved the smaller, shorter cars, loud. Um, Alonso, Schumacher, Raikkonen, those guys. Um, yeah, it's great. Yeah, support. How does someone then go from being a an ad, uh, admin salesperson in Motorsport UK to do, to this position? Like, what has the journey been like for you? And can you explain to like the people listening and watching, like, how have you molded this this career? Yeah, it, it's a it's a great question because I th- I think the easy but probably not the great answer is I I was lucky. You know, loads of people say, oh, I was really lucky, and yes, I was, but it's all about taking the opportunity or finding the opportunity when you can. So yeah, I was at Silverstone Circuit selling Grand Prix tickets, uh, Ferrari driving experiences, etc. I was doing all right in there. I was incentivized by commission, so. Mm. Um, although it was quite difficult because you, one of the KPIs was to keep your call time under three minutes. So it was like, right, no time for small talk. <laughs> what do you want? Yeah. But anyway, um, so yeah, then the, I'd been there, I think just under a year and I'd, I'd kind of indicated to senior managers and directors that I was looking to kind of move on and proactively like say, I want to change. I want to grow. Can I have a placement in a different department and things like that. And then they set up a graduate management trainee scheme, um, which for two years, I went around the whole of Silverstone circuit to each different department. So between three and six months in each. So that was the marketing department, public events, the experience center, IT, um, and then international events. And that was probably one of the best experiences in terms of my career, you know, mm-hmm. being able to see all the different sides of a company, but in the same company. So you have context of what everyone's working on, but realizing what each department does, what their problems are, what, what they're good at. And also the lack of, or not lack of, but the difficulty of communicating between departments. And what I mean by that is people don't know what goes on in other departments because it's not no. what they're working on. So, it makes you realize that as a manager, and it, obviously it's easier said than done, you should be the one that's trying to help people realize other people's struggles or difficulties or, or no, actually use them because they've got this program or this software or this person within their department that can help you. And I found that really interesting. Um, and it was kind of where I got the taste for working on events. I always knew that I didn't really like the idea of sitting at a computer all day working but I never really knew how I could get like um, a diversified role or do things different day to day which was another element of the police that I like to be honest um, but it was kind of during that because working in the at the experience center doing all the experience days the public events so helping at the Grand Prix and the touring cars and things like that um, was good but I mean this is where the luck comes in so I the last 
department I was in was in like the international events. So it was basically an events department that, um, what's the word? Um, when a company like a car manufacturer wanted to do a car launch, we would put in a proposal to do that for them. And I ended up on a, an eight week event in Malaga for <laughs> Nissan with them. And, you know, I was 23 years old in Malaga for eight weeks, working on this massive international event. And the guys who ran that department really kind of took me under their wing and taught me all about the how, you know, all the, the politics and the working with the client and budget constrictions and staffing and how you work it all out. And um, what ended up happening was, and again, the luck part of it, they got offered the chance by Nissan to separate from Silverstone as their own agency. Mm. And kind of be Nissan Motorsport and Nissan Automotive's own agency. And I offered if I wanted to go with them. And I said, yes, so you've got to take the opportunity. <laughs> I mean, it, it, you don't really know what it's going to lead to. Um, but one thing they were doing then, which I don't know if you've heard of, is called Nissan GT Academy. Yeah. Have you heard yeah, of that? Yeah. Yeah. So that was, um, yeah, kind of one of the starting points of working in esports. So I'd always been played computer games, but I'd never had anything, you know, working in it. it was pretty unheard of back then. Um, and they were running GT, Nissan GT Academy as part of Silverstone. But then for, the, I think it was like the 2011 year, they would set up as their own department. Anyway, so I then ultimately grew in that role for, I think I was there for four years to become an event manager so that was you know managing people equipment venues all of that sort of stuff and um, we would manage the the people who won gt academy and became nismo athletes so drivers you know we'd manage all of their equipment their logistics make sure they had the right race suit at the right time we'd house them in the uk that sort of stuff and you know i traveled all around the world doing GT Academy, um, like India, Russia of all places now, um, you know, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, all over Europe. Um, and it, it's interesting because, and I think this is where it wasn't luck. It was where I kind of was self-aware within my career. It got to a point where I was like, well, I could just keep doing this. And it's great. I'm working in motorsport and traveling around the world. But I was like, I'm not actually gaining anything now. Mm. You know, I was getting annual pay rises and bonuses potentially and uh, I actually realized that because the company I was in was so small it was only actually like four full-time employees I was I was thinking well I'm not managing anyone and my role isn't really changing we're just doing the same thing each year and I was like I'm not if I keep if I stay here I'm eventually going to be too expensive to actually go somewhere for my for the skill that I had yeah so I took the decision to leave it coincided with meeting my now wife and she had moved she was up in Manchester and I'm originally from the north so I was like well I'll maybe I'll move back to the north with her find something up there and and I ended up working as an event manager for a drinks company but the drinks company actually also sponsored motorsport um so I ended up helping on the motorsport side of that um and I'm trying to keep this short. Uh, that didn't end well, that role. And again, this is the, the not luck bit. Weren't aligned. Yeah, that's that's perfect. Yeah. Um, so I ultimately got made redundant, really, from that role. And so I had a three-month notice period, which they kindly didn't make me work. 
Um, and so I was like, right, here we go then. Got to find a job. Got three months. Um, and this was the point where it was like, I knew I couldn't be a chooser because I was like, right, I just need to get a job that I still have an interest in. So I ended up working for a um, creative agency, like a marketing and events agency. Mm. Um, nothing to do with motorsport, nothing to do with esports. I was just an event manager. And we were working with brands like DFS, Hyundai, Morrison Supermarkets, Dixon's, Lookers car dealerships, and doing their events. And sure, it wasn't the subject matter that I didn't, it wasn't the subject matter that I liked, but I learned so much from that role. I learned way more about the event side of things that I'd never had exposure to things probably boring to most people, but like the technical side. So lighting and sound engineers Mm. and the, um, when you do like a company conference for a big company, like it is six figures, it's massive. And they spend six months coming up with the, you know, the, the creative narrative and the design and colorways of all of the branding of it and the menu tasting and, um, all of this sort of stuff that I had no idea about, but it did ultimately get to a point where I was like, okay, I I don't enjoy the subject matter. And that was the role that I was like, it needs to be motorsport or sport or um, yeah, esports. But it was during that period of time that I had the knockback. So again, it's not all, um, you know, roast into glasses. I applied for dream jobs with, Team Sky Cycling, which I got through to the kind of the last two, Hmm. didn't get that. Same with British Cycling. I had interviews with Monster Energy, Mercedes (laughs) F1 team, and I didn't get any of them. And, you know, so it wasn't like I just like bounced from one to another. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm just getting all the jobs that I got. It was I was still getting knockbacks. And I think I I don't really know what my driving force was. I guess just not having a job would be bad. (laughs) So hence I kind of would just went for the event management roles. Um, And I ended up, and again, the luck part comes back in again. Um, An old employer said, oh, we now manage the Mercedes F1 esports team. Uh, No, we managed the Force India as it was, or Racing Point esports team. And we're about to take over, take on, Mercedes F1 esports team do you want to come on a few days a week to manage that like uh let me check yes um so I did that a few days a week and then that just grew and grew and I ended up quitting freelance going full-time with them and then that led to working on world's fastest gamer I managed Fernando Alonso's entry into virtual Le Mans Mm. um we did the big all-stars sim racing event during lockdown, right at the start of lockdown, which had all of the known racing drivers taking part because they didn't have anything else to do. Um, and yeah, I then had a phone call from somebody I knew at Motorsport UK, not kind of headhunting, but saying, we need to be in esports. You know, it, it's kind of now the right time. What, what do you think we should do? And we had multiple conversations and ultimately we were like, I think we need to have somebody in the building that even if we use third parties to run it, um, we should have somebody in the middle to kind of manage it. And then I went through interview process and all of that sort of stuff. And here I am. And that's me trying to keep it brief. <laughs> so no, it's, it's a question that I think can be, I mean, you can make it extremely short and boring or you can make it 
quite long and it, it does it shows people that not everything is a plan like no one has a plan to go oh, i'm going to go manage an esports team or i'm going to go be a manager yeah. at this because you keep mentioning the word luck paul and i'm just wondering if it's if it's luck at all if it's just you going and being being ambitious within your career because i'm hearing i didn't want to be in the same place i'm hearing i don't like what i'm doing or i i can see i can see a ceiling so where did you develop the self-awareness and what has that done for you in terms of not just your career but your personal side of life as well i've never been asked that question <laughs> which is a good thing Welcome to the i've podcast. never been asked kind of <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a it, i have questioned myself kind of where my um where my drive comes from on the career side mm. and it's a really tricky thing to answer because without just saying oh it's just in me i don't genuinely know and it it's like how did i know like like you said why didn't i just sit back in my role running nissan gt gt academy and doing all the other bits that they were doing with nissan and formula e and things like that i could have just stayed there they would have mm. kept me and I, I could probably have still been there um but i was just like i want to it, it was around the kind of i want to manage people i want to and i was very much because it was their agency it's very much yeah. like you get told what to do and then you do it and you do it their way so there's no form of like and i'm not saying that's a bad thing but when you get a bit older so i would have gone from kind of 23 to 26 7 ish in that in that role or maybe a bit young yeah about that so i was getting to the point where i was like well i don't just want to do what i'm told to do all the time because i've got ideas as well mm. so i think that was part of it so it was like not managing people not having any form of creative freedom um obviously meeting my partner i was like oh well moving up north could make sense again and although i was like there's not much motorsport in the north but i was immediately was like oh well maybe i could work at alton park because that's near where we live and so you're immediately looking for opportunity rather than going oh i'm not going to move up north because there's no motorsport yeah. up there and then that was when I was looking at British Cycling and Team Sky based in Manchester. And I was like, I like the idea of being involved in elite sport and kind of pushing and innovating within that space rather than just being in, in motorsport. So I think it's being open-minded and yeah, self-aware. Where that comes from is a very tricky question to answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking of, of Paul Beckett like with back at private school there you're going you can be like whereas you're indirectly being told you can't you're seeing all these other people being told they can be these doctors these lawyers these high-flying mm -hmm. professions so i'm wondering if it it opens you up to the ability that the human the human being can be so much more and i'm wondering if that was something to do with the reason we're always looking for more it's 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 something that's driven you from a, a child going right i can't i can't i've been told i can't be a doctor or lawyer but i've told that that sort of human expression is possible Someone who that's why. Mm. Yeah, and it's, I think it must have been through my university time where I was like, I'm not going to be a racing driver, you know, dream job when you're a child. I was like, I want to be an F1 driver. So it's when you realize that you're not going to be able to do that on any level, not even, you know, low level motorsport at that stage. I, I had the idea of 
well, maybe I just work within my hobby, whatever that looks like. Because, like I said, not sitting at a desk all day is what I wanted to do. Mm. And also being interested in the subject matter, which I actually got told off by for by an HR manager once. They said, you should want to be an event manager, regardless of the content. And I was like, I'll still do it. <laughs> but I just get more excitement and interest and I'm more driven if it's the subject matter I'm interested in. That's just me. You know, yeah. I'm not, I didn't choose to do that which is why, you know, I lasted a year at that agency. It was like, can't do it anymore. Um, so it, it's really interesting. Though, no, it's, but then it's just important to think important for people listening that maybe want to want to pursue their passion or in their in a, in a career. Because, I mean, I look at my dad and he goes to me, he tells me the time, like some of the stuff I know about what I do now, it comes from him and he goes like, sometimes it's like, don't, nev- don't, ever, work, don't ever work behind an office because he hated it. Um, they never work sitting at a desk and I go, okay, well now I do a podcast and I sit down, <laughs> but uh, that's just, that's just, but then it goes in stuff like I was working hospitality for quite a while and I'm not a massive fan of pubs and, and people, I'm not a massive fan of people. Like I'm quite introverted. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's kind of like, right, is that the right thing for me to do? And I always put off working with cars because I thought, well, oh, I don't want to ruin working for me because if I thought I hate working now. I don't want to work with cars and work in the industry and hate it because I don't like working. So why would I go and work with my hobby? Mm-hmm. And it's important to tell people that actually, you know, it has the opposite effect. Like you say, mm-hmm. like you just said, like working with your passion and working in your area of interest actually makes the job more enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely. And sure, it, you don't have the same enthusiasm, like childlike enthusiasm you did at the start. Mm-hmm. Like I remember working at Silverstone, having been there a few years you go down to the workshop where they work on all the, you know, Ferraris and Lamborghinis and single seaters and people walk past and they're like, wow, get their phones out and start taking pictures. And I'm like, not bothered, which is kind of sad in some way, but you're also like, yeah, but I get my excitement around working with it all the time and being part of it and being the part, part of the team that delivers that and offers that to these people who are really excited about it. And, Offering people that enjoyment and almost escapism is something that I really enjoy. And now with the work that I'm doing at Motorsport UK, it's I like that we're bringing a bit of um, kind of professionalism to the esports world, which is has been lacking it or not lacking, but there's some people that are doing it. Um, but hopefully we can help with that. But also around kind of the talent pathway because. There's so many people that want to be racing drivers, mm. right? Male or female. And they will very quickly run out of money unless you have it, if you know what I mean. It It's very, very, very hard. And I genuinely see sim racing as an alternative to that. So now my enjoyment for this comes from, well, I really enjoy sim racing. I'm an advocate. You can see my simulator behind me. It's like it's what I do in, in my spare time. And now being able to offer potentially a career path for a really talented driver who can now make a career out of being a professional Mm. sim racing driver and offering new opportunities and new projects. I've always kind of been a fan of innovating and um, offering something new. And that's now where my enjoyment comes from. It's definitely something that, I mean, I look at sort of what, esports is able to do for people like i I've, I've always played forza i've always played gran turismo like i had the original one when i had the playstation 
But it's something that I, I very quickly discounted. Like you say, discounted being a Formula One driver very early. I was like, yeah, I love go-karting. Yeah, I did it at Bummer Park. And you hear the names Lewis Hamilton and Jensen Button thrown around and it gives mm. you gives you great sort of like excitement and they say and hope. And yeah. you know, I could be them if I race here. But what you don't see is there, either if it's the money or if it's the dedication, the hard work, the stuff that puts people yeah. off. Because that, yes, Lewis wasn't rich, but he had a dad and he had a mindset that went, okay, I can do this. That was it. That was the, that was the driving force. And yeah, it probably had some amazing breaks along the way, but esports does, does that and more for people. I think mean, it's amazing to, to see what it can do. So if you pull like, what is the thing that you're most excited about for Motorsport UK? What is the thing that you get to do that really sort of like wakes you up inside, if that makes sense? Yeah. And I think it's definitely around that there's a number of, um, projects coming up which unfortunately i don't know if they will be out by the time this goes out but um later this year so second half of 2023 we've got a number of projects and championships and competitions that haven't really been seen before um i'll i'll try and explain what they are without giving too much away but we we're hoping to and hopefully have by the time this goes out launching and a kind of a nationwide competition where you don't even need your own equipment to enter. So it's the whole bottom rung of the ladder. And that's not just for, we want everyone to become a professional sim driver, but it's just making people realize there's, there is access to sim racing Mm. to them and introducing people to it because there will be people that don't know what it is or what it looks like or how to get involved so there's that side of it but then there's also the established community side so there's obviously a massive sim racing community and when i say that i'm talking more around the people who have invested their disposable income in the equipment like i've got behind and enter the, you know the 24 hour races and and that sort of thing but on a hobby level not on a pro level mm. so we're offering a number of different championships this year for community level where i'm like well, if I was younger or if I was me now not doing it, I would love to be have been able to take part in that. And we we actually did a survey early last year to the community, as in I sent out to a number of different community owners, um, but I mean, not to the general public, people who were already in it. And, you know, we said, if you, if we were to provide a membership, what would you want to see in return? And the highest answer was kind of official sanctioned events for us. Mm. So it's that feeling of taking part in something big and special that's broadcast with prizes. And, um, you know, you put lots of time and effort into training it, to practicing for it and making your setup and it's stewarded. And it makes you feel like a racing driver, right? Which is what we all want to be. We're all pretending to be racing drivers. So if you... It's like saying to a Sunday league team, oh, do you want to go and play at your favourite home ground, you know, Old Trafford or Anfield or Wembley? You know, you'd be like, yeah, be mega. You're still not a professional footballer, but it makes you feel like it for for that 90 minutes or whatever. So it's it's similar to that. Um, And then finally, yeah, kind of just developing this talent pathway where we start with something where you don't Mm. even need your own equipment but all the way through to where you can represent the uk at the fia motorsport games or you become a um you become a pro sim driver is kind of our ultimate goal where 
in the real world, you kind of know what that ladder is. It's karting. It's an, either something like Ginettas or F4, F3, F2, F1, or on the touring and GT side as well. But in sim racing up to this point, it's very much you do all of the work, put in all of the effort, the massive amount of time that it takes. You get your I rating level up or you you know win some ACC leagues or whatever it takes. And then you might get cherry picked by a pro team at the end if you happen to yeah. be in the right place at the right time. Whereas we want to have kind of not fully defined, but if you want to, there is a path here that you can kind of jump into and and not even just on the talent side, but it's like, okay, well, if you've just been exposed to sim racing for the first time, we want there to be opportunities for people to go in at different levels and kind of, so if you go, oh yeah, I've just bought iRacing for the first time or ACC or R Factor. Now, what do I do? I'm just driving around on my own at the minute. It's like, well, there's these community events that we're doing that's for all different skill levels. And that might lead them into doing a feeder series for a, British Championship or whatever it might be. So there's lots on the horizon and I'm genuinely really excited, but it's all in the pipeline currently. <laughs> um, but it's second half of this year is going to be really exciting. That's fantastic. I think, I mean, I mentioned, I mentioned this in the podcast quite a lot, but I look at, and it's ever since I did a podcast with, um, I forgot his name, <laughs> we're with Matt, something like, and he, he was someone that loved football as a kid. And he made, he came across this on the podcast himself, and I, I just I love, love the idea that you look at all these Premier League football teams, but they've, and they've got academies that go right down to grassroots, and all you've got to do is be seen by a scout, and you're in this academy at seven mm. seven eight years old. And I was I've always said to to people like, why don't motorsport do this? Like, football is a sport that's been established for a really long time, and it knows what it's doing. So why wouldn't mm. you copy? what works in another sport and because footballers are some of the most talented people on earth and they've all been found from academies. So, and it gives people that, like you say, on the bottom of the run, the ladder, like they don't really know what sim racing is. They don't really know what sim racing equipment looks like, feels like where you can get it and gives them the opportunity. Mm. And I think it's an amazing thing that you guys are going to be doing. And I'm all for, and personally, I'm all for it. You can see I'm getting quite excited because it's like, it sounds like it's happening and mm. I know it's going to give people a yeah, chance. And it's, yeah, and I, I think with the football thing, um, you're you're right, and I think you also have to be aware of the the bad side of it. And um, mm. I'll come on to the sim racing equivalent, but it's like you'll get these people who are then told that they're going to be the best football ever. Get to fourteen, fifteen, it's like no, you're not good enough. See you later. They just get dumped, and yet that's it. See you later. Whereas in sim racing, the, the, a lot of companies and teams that I've spoken to were all kind of aware of that issue. And especially with sim racing, where you put in so much time and hours, mm. if you don't make it, we want people to have other opportunities. So Williams are quite good with it, where if they have drivers on their team, they make sure that they get involved in broadcasting or team management or coaching. So that it's like, because as we all know, it's the top very small percent that make it in any sport to the absolute top. So it's making sure that people are rounded with it in terms of, just being exposed to what else they could do. So if if you don't become a pro driver or you do it for a couple of years and you don't quite make it, it's like, okay, well, I did team management or I can help with the broadcasting side of thing or I could try presenting and having that opportunity to do that. And I think that's important with what we're doing as well is just make sure that, and it's kind of applies to all careers, really. It's like try and 
stay a bit rounded mm. so that you know all the different elements of what you're working in in case it doesn't come off what your ultimate dream is yeah and so i'm just wondering paul because if it's obviously that that's like a, a great point to bring up which is like the aftercare side of things like becoming a racing driver and then being dropped and it's like what are the what are the the mental implications what are the the social implications of that because that that person whether mm. they're 16 or they've been doing it for a couple of years and now they're 22 like entering the big world of work because they now haven't got the the support network yeah. and i'm just thinking for you as well like i know we, we've mentioned you have quite an ambitious side of you so this like where do you see yourself in like maybe in a couple of years time and where do you see do you still see being a motorsport uk or is there something else you'd like to try yeah i think like like we've alluded to i don't have a plan of if i don't get to this it's going to be a disaster yeah. but i i'd like to stay at motorsport uk because it's it's a very unique position to be in that it's kind of it's my thing but with the support network of a company and a governing body with all the different departments so so far it's you know i've been here a year and a half and i feel like i'm only just getting started so give it another two years and we're fully up and running I, I i just think that there's going to be so many more opportunities when more and more people realize what the possibilities are um but i i yeah i don't have any plans to be honest other than developing what i'm doing now and staying at motorsport uk to kind of see it to a point where it's like yeah this is this is great and then just working on new stuff like i said i like being innovative and coming up with changes it's like i i don't just want to do the same thing over and over again um so it's always exciting to be like oh i wonder what opportunity is gonna come across my desk in a year's time or whatever because something always does you know something will always come along if you're in it and you're you know you're pushing along usually something will come along um that changes what you're doing or how you do it or who you're doing it with and i i always find that exciting which might sound a bit weird but no it's, it's yeah. yeah it's fantastic it's, it's like saying not not being closed off and not being limited by your own beliefs that makes sense um yeah mm. i know we're coming towards the end paul but there are sort of like five quick questions that i like to ask and the first of those being okay. uh, what is your ultimate three car garage Ooh, this has definitely changed with my age <laughs> i'd say currently a porsche 911 mm not too bothered which one probably not the targa but any other than that uh i think you've got to have a relatively practical car so let's say the new m3 estate yeah so what have i got to put? and tricky i say some form of track car so like a caterham or a radical or a bac mono something like that yeah, yeah. fantastic um, and the next one is, if you give any car to drive on any road or track, but you can only do it once, um, what would you take and where would you go? Oh, I would have to try. I mean, I would say an F1 car, but I just don't think that I would get the most out of it. So I feel like it would be a missed opportunity. But I would love to drive a proper like GT3 race car at a track. Not the Nürburgring. That would be probably too much of baptism of fire so let's say a proper gt3 car at 
Ooh. Spa. Nice. Yeah, I mean, you still say baptism of fire, I think spa still, especially. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Less so than the Nordsch like. Yeah, 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 I mean, the, the I was going to go boring and say Silverstone. I was like, nah. Nah, I've, I've seen it too much. You probably walk around that track with your eyes yeah. closed. Um, yeah. But yeah, but, I mean, like, this podcast, I'd say, is, is about finding, finding a career with passion. And one of those things, I got asked a question recently, and it was, I, I've, I've stolen it, to be right, frankly honest. And the question is like, if money wasn't an object and wasn't something we needed day to day, what would you do for a living? Racing driver. Yeah. Simple as that. It's r- racing is, is my passion. And whether that's online or in real world, I don't mind. But I think the point would be that I would be an athlete rather than working in it. Yeah. kind of any sport like i love cricket i love tennis of golf i'm not a huge fan of football like i do follow it and but um yeah no perfect yeah and the next one is um if there's any advice you could give to a younger you or someone that's pursuing something with a passion what would it be um it would be network and by that, I mean, contact people, go to events, go to, you know, I'll keep it as motorsport examples, but go to race meetings, work at events. So if you like golf, go and work at the open or, you know, go and work at high level events because you'll meet people who have contacts and then you'll see something come up and you'll contact them and see, or they'll get in contact with you saying, oh, I remember when you did this with us, etc. And it's then taking that opportunity. Don't worry about, you know, oh, I don't live near there. It's like I currently live 150 miles away from Motorsport UK, but I make it work by staying Mm. down there multiple nights a week and that sort of stuff. It's like just, yeah, network with as many people as you can. And and I don't just mean contact them on LinkedIn. I mean, go to events, activities. Mm you have to do a lot of you have to have suffer a lot of rejection before you get something and um but keep at it if it's your passion people will realize and you'll become kind of people will realize that you're interested in it and you're committed and that's really important yeah i think it's one thing i've learned about doing this podcast is that people aren't as scary as they seem mm-hmm. um you can pretty much message anyone and they'll either yeah. not respond to you and that, in that case you get on with your life yeah, um, exactly. Or they do, and you've you've made a friend. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you never know who's going to respond either, because you know we we obviously are trying to work with partners and we're contacting people, and you're like, oh yeah, of course they're going to come back. Why wouldn't they? And they don't. And somebody go, I mean, there's no way they're going to reply. So, but we'll send a message, and, and they do. So, you know, give it a try. What's the worst going to happen? You get blanked. So what? Exactly. Yeah. And the last question, Paul, is what do you love most about cars? I like the freedom that you get from them. And I think design, I I quite like design and kind of the evolution of that side of things. But let's be honest, for me, it's the the speed and Mm. the the ability to go around a track legally as fast as you can is intoxicating. And I think being part of a company or community that is trying to push that forward and give more experiences is kind of 
what drives me, what one of the things that drives me forward. Perfect. Um, well, Paul, like I said, thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure to, to sort of like probe into what esports is like and going to be like in the future. It's a, it's an honour. Great. Thank you very much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. A few things stood out to me when listening back to Paul. And for me, the overarching theme was that you need to take opportunities. If it weren't for Paul's mindset of always wanting to better himself, he wouldn't be where he is now. Along with this, Paul is open to change and willing to work hard. So, if you listen to this and are thinking, what can I take away from this conversation? Let it be that if you look for an opportunity and are willing to accept the change and work hard to ensure that change works for you, you won't suffer in the long run. And so, with that being said, I'm Harry and this is the Ignition Podcast. Thank you for listening.